So, glad you guys are all here. As Father Tim said, um, I'm going to speak a little bit. Well, the title of this, of this evening is like, why are we chanting at Mass? If you haven't noticed, a little bit different than last semester. All of a sudden, we're like chanting all the time and we're using these weird prayers called antiphons. We have this new missile. Um, so, kind of the vision of tonight is to walk through like, what are we doing with that? Why are we doing that? Um, why is that important? Um, And so to kind of give you guys a glimpse of like, why is Monica the one talking about this? um, I just want to take you guys back to, let's see, it would be 2006. So 2006, I was in sixth grade. It's a great way to remember. And um, yeah, I just, my singing career, it started when I was eight years old in the church choir, when the choir director turned to the song, I'm a Believer from Shrek, um, to be, instead of being about like, I saw her face. He was like, then I got God's grace. Now I'm a believer. Um, really cheesy. So that's where like everything started. But I was like, I'm a great singer. Um, never got a solo in church choir, but decided I'm a great singer. I'm going to audition for our school talent show. So I decided I was going to sing Over the Rainbow. I loved musicals. And as I auditioned for this talent show, I auditioned... And then I just, like, never heard anything. And I, like, it was all my teachers that I auditioned for, so I wasn't about to be like, hi, Miss McLaughlin, like, did I make it? I just was like, this is awkward. So it's like, okay, great. Somehow that didn't stop me, and in eighth grade, I decided to audition for our middle school talent show as well. Um, And I get up there, and I decide this year, bigger musical, new me, I'm a big eighth grader, we're going to sing On My Own from Les Mis, which is just like this power ballad of sadness, of feeling like this man that she's in love with has no idea, and so she's just stuck on her own. So I sing it, and I try to like really enter into it and sing it really dramatically. And the next day, uh, we are in my science class. was For some reason, in the computer lab. I can vividly remember this. And my science teacher comes up to me, and she goes... Hey, Monica. I was like, yeah, Mrs. Karate, what's up? She's like, uh, yeah, I want to talk to you about the talent show. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is my big break. I'm so excited. She goes, yeah, um, we really want you to be in it, but you were like off key the whole time. Um, but we think if you just like had someone actually play the piano instead of use a CD, it would work. And I was like, okay. Didn't realize that, like, being off-key was, like, actually, like, doesn't sound good. Um, So then my friend Helen played the piano, and it was my big break. And, yeah, after that, I actually did... I never had a lead in a musical or... um, Yeah, I was not that good at singing. Basically, that's what that story is about. Um, But my... When I was a senior in high... Or I was a junior in high school, and the church that I went to... Um, I wasn't going to Mass every Sunday, but I still believed that I, like, could sing pretty well. I liked singing. Let me be honest. I wasn't a horrible singer, but I was not, like, a great singer. Um, and so I saw that this, this church that was near me that we went to sometimes had the evening Mass that was, like, the Life Teen Mass. And so they had, like, really cool songs, like, Our God is an awesome God. That one, yeah. Um, and I was, like... So I was like, yes, sign me up. I want to sing there. And also the musicians like stood up near the front of the church. And so I was just like, everyone's going to know that I'm a great singer and I'm going to sing in this band. Um, And so I did. And it that honestly, for two years of my life, I went to mass every Sunday simply because I wanted to perform and I wanted everyone to see how good I was at singing or hear how good I was at singing. Um, 
So that is how I got started in singing at church, besides the eighth, the eight-year-old church choir. So, um, yeah, how do we go from Monica singing in the front of church um, and wanting to perform to her being the one to talk about we're chanting and it's not really a performance. She's standing in the back of the church. No one really knows it's her unless you like you turn around and look. Sometimes I'm there behind the organ. So how do we get to where we are today? And I want you all to take a moment and I want you to think of your favorite sport. Whether to watch or to play, just think of your favorite sport. And I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them your favorite sport. Great. Did anyone say baseball? No one said, okay, great. I, every time I use this analogy, no one ever says baseball is their favorite sport, which I don't understand because it's called America's favorite pastime, but I guess, what? <laughs> I guess it is no one's favorite sport, but I want you to all think about baseball. Um, now baseball, uh, it's pretty, there's pretty a lot of intricacies to it, but it's also a pretty simple game, right? We know there, there need to be four bases. There need to be two teams. You need to uh, hit the ball with a bat in order for the play to start. Um, if there's rules, there's an umpire to enforce the rules. Now imagine what would happen in baseball if the bases weren't in the right place. If it went like home plate, first, second, third, wait, that, whatever. If they weren't in the right place. Um, or imagine what would happen if no one, uh, yeah, if you didn't have to hit the ball or no one cared if you hit the ball and then you got to start running. You could start running whenever you wanted to. That wouldn't make sense either. Um, and so the rhythm and the rules of the game of baseball are what make it beautiful. Um, and, the, and the rhythm and the rules of baseball are what make it work. They what make it enjoyable. They what make it like, pleasing to watch and pleasing to participate in. And so that, can go, uh, that analogy goes a long way in a lot of our lives and a lot of different aspects of our lives. But it's also really important um, to use that analogy when we're talking about liturgy. Um, it's important to have rules and guidelines for things to go well, and most especially in liturgy. Now you might be wondering, what is liturgy? Um, great question, Monica. So liturgy is a fancy word. It comes from the Greek. It means, well, yeah, from early on, it's always meant like a public work. And uh, when we talk about liturgy primarily, we're talking about sacraments. We're talking about mass. Um, so often when you hear the word liturgy, think mass. Now that's a lot of times tonight what we're going to be saying. Um, so liturgy, though. Liturgy is it's a public work, but God is the one working. Liturgy is about what God does and what he has to say to us. And liturgy is the place where sacraments happen. So, great. Monica, you just said liturgy is the place where sacraments happen. What's a sacrament? Another big word. Um, Yeah, so we have the definition of a sacrament, which is a sign instituted by Christ to give grace. Um, And a a sacrament is something, um, we're going to break that down a little bit, but a sacrament is something that performs what it signifies. So a sacrament is a sign a sign but we use the word it's an efficacious sign it actually performs what it signifies so think of a stop sign right you see a stop sign and what hap- what do you do when you see a stop sign stop. you stop right uh could you not stop yes. yeah right so a stop sign doesn't actually make you stop you are the one who chooses to stop 
right? So the sign signifies that you need to stop, but it doesn't make you stop. Liturgy is the opposite. In, in a sacrament, what we, the sign that takes place there, meaning the, way, the bread and the wine, it actually becomes Jesus. It actually signifies, or yeah, what signifies actually happens. Um, so when we're looking at, when we're talking about Mass, Mass is about uh, bringing to life and making like this sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross. It's representing that to all of us. Um, and so it's actually happening there during Mass. So when we break it down, a lot of times we think like, oh, why should I go to Mass? What's happening at Mass? What is Mass for? What is liturgy for? And a lot of times we can hear two really common answers. And I fall into these all the time. This is me for a long time, long time in my life. Um, but we often think that Mass and liturgy is for teaching. We think that it's for me to learn more about God. We think it's for me to... Um, yeah, just learn about what, what happened in the Bible and to learn about Father Tim's experiences in seminary because he talks about them in his homilies or to learn about, um, yeah, just a different aspect of our faith. And that's a part of liturgy. There, that, that should happen, and it's good that that happens when we're there, but that's not the main purpose for it. Um, the other thing is a lot of times we can fall into thinking that Mass and is there for, for self-help. Right? I need to go to Mass because it makes me feel better. When I go to Mass, I have that energy to get through the day. I feel like I have that spiritual high to get through the rest of the week. Um, sometimes it even feels a little bit like a gas station. right? Like I can go to Mass and I can fill up. I can, get, I can receive the Eucharist. I can get what I need. Um, and I can get through the rest of the week. Um, but that's also not the main purpose of Mass. It's, a good, it's, it's true that we receive grace when we're there. And we um, yeah, can be filled up. And especially when we're, we go to Mass with our community and people that we love. Yeah, it really is something that can build us up. But the problem with that purpose is that it tends to be very self-centered. right? It's very much about what, what do I get out of Mass? Um, what do, what is mass, mass is there for me. But the reality is, and this comes from, um, this is said in the documents of Vatican II. So Vatican II was a council that happened um, about 1960. They, or in the 60s, they realized like, all right, something's happening. We got to change things up. Or we just got to, we got to go back to like, what is the purpose of the church and the sacraments and mass and all these things? Um, and so there's a, a document that says, every time mass is celebrated, the work of our redemption is accomplished. I want to repeat that. So every time mass is celebrated, the work of our redemption is accomplished. So at the last supper that we um, celebrate on Holy Thursday that we hear about that was repeated every time during mass, that's when Jesus instituted the Eucharist. And so he says, this is my body given up for you. Um, This is my blood, the chalice of my blood. Um, and when he did this, as the, the church says that he did this in order to perpetuate the sacrifice of the cross throughout the ages. So Jesus instituted the Last Supper. He instituted the Eucharist so that and he says, do this in, in memory of me. So that when we come to Mass, we can remember and we can represent, represent, represent um, the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. Um, something that was really beautiful as Father Connor um, was praying through what to do in the chapel and um, these new new features to add. If you look closely, you'll notice that um, on the crucifix, Jesus' eyes are open, but he's pierced in the side. So Jesus has been crucified, and um, we know from Scripture that he was only pierced in the side after he, had, after he, was, uh, he was dead on the cross. 
Um, so the piercing means that he's, he has made that sacrifice. He has accomplished that sacrifice for our sins. But his eyes are open because he's alive. And so every time we come to Mass, um, we are experiencing that living sacrifice. Um, in, um, the, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, a book that's a document of um, just everything the church teaches, um, it talks about how there's an eternal liturgy going on in heaven. So in heaven, um, there's Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, as we sing at Mass, um, who's on the throne, standing as though slain. So he's alive, but he's pierced. Um, and in heaven, um, we are constant, the, the angels and the saints are constantly worshiping and adoring this Lamb who is standing as though slain. And so the Spirit and the church enable us to participate in this eternal liturgy that's taking place in heaven whenever we celebrate the mystery of our salvation in the sacraments. So this is kind of trippy and a lot to like wrap your mind around. So if you're a little confused, it's taken me a while to come to it too. Um, but ultimately what I want you to remember is that when we come to Mass, um, yes, Father Tim or Father Connor are saying a lot of words and praying a lot of prayers. Um, but Mass is not just about praying these prayers. Actually, when they are praying these prayers, they are in persona Christi Capitus, which means they are in the person of Christ, the head, the head of the church. And when they're in the person of Christ, they are praying these words that Jesus said, take and receive. This is my body given up for you. Um, and we are remembering this sacrifice that was made on the cross. We are representing it. Um, it is as if it is happening again right there at Mass. Um, when we come to Mass, we come to Calvary, where Jesus was crucified for our redemption, for our salvation. And so at Mass, Jesus is the one who is redeeming us. Jesus is the one doing the work. Um, everything, that the, the, everything that we're praying at Mass is a prayer to the Father. Um, and so the, the priest, in the person of Christ, is there as the Son, um, praying to the Father, offering himself to the Father in this sacrifice on our behalf. And the Holy Spirit is the one who is transforming that bread and that wine into the body and blood of Christ. Um, so if you've gotten anything out of what I've just said, liturgy is a big thing and liturgy is not about us. Liturgy is about what Jesus is doing because liturgy is where salvation is accomplished. Like I said, every time mass is celebrated, the work of our redemption, our salvation from sin and death is accomplished. And the reality is, is that this was instituted by Christ. This was instituted by Christ in the Last Supper um, and then handed down through the church. Um, throughout these past 2,000 years, mass and this liturgy has been handed down to us so that we can continue to live in this presence of Jesus winning our redemption for us on the cross. And so because of that, because liturgy is a big thing, um, there's a quote that's often uh, referenced from a document from Vatican II, which is called Sacro Sanctum Concilium, and it's all about the sacraments and the importance of them. Um, and this quote, it's actually in the front of these missiles that we have at Mass. Um, so I encourage you to read this paragraph here. But it says, The liturgy is the summit toward which the activity of the church is directed. And at the same time, it is the font from which all her power flows. Repeat that again. The liturgy is the summit toward which the activity of the church is directed. But at the same time, it's the font from which all her power flows. 
So you'll hear often kind of that quote summarized in the fact that the Eucharist and the liturgy is the source and the summit of the Christian life. Um, it's the end of the Christian life. It's the, what everything is directed towards. It's the summit because we're directed there. Um, but it's also the source. It's the font from the, where the, the, the authority of the church comes from. Um, and so when you think about a summit, we think about the mountaintop, right? And so um, every time in scripture, anytime that something big happens and where we encounter God, it happens on a mountaintop. Um, that is where uh, Jesus is transfigured, right? And so he becomes, he reveals his divinity on top of a mountain. It is where he, uh, he's last seen with his apostles before he ascends as he goes up to a mountain. Um, and so when we think summit, we think the pinnacle, the, the end, like the like, yeah, uh, get into the top point, um, because that is where we can encounter God face to face. But it's also the source. It's where everything in the church flows from. And so it's not enough for it just to be the end, but we have to see it as the end that then sends us back out. Um, in English, when we say mass, um, at, or at the end of mass, Father Tim or Father Connor, the priest always says, um, go, the mass is ended or the mass is ended, go in peace. Um, and then we all say, thanks be to God. And I always thought it was funny because we're always like, Mass has ended, thanks be to God. Um, But that's actually not what we're trying to say. If we bring it back into Latin, the phrase that we use in Latin is ite misa est. Um, Ite misa est. It translates directly as go, she is sent. The she being the church. And so that that final sending in the church, which says the, the mass has ended, go in peace. He's saying go. The church is saying, go, go out there, go be on mission. Um, and that's actually where we get the word mass from is Misa, mission, sent. Um, and so the mass is the source from which we um, have encountered God. Um, our redemption has been accomplished. And now we are sent out into the world, um, having been sanctified. And so um, with that, I want to draw your attention back into, or to your handout, the, the not not the music handout, the one with the circles on it. Um, because this is going to, this is, understanding these circles was something that transformed my understanding of Mass from singing I'm a Believer from Shrek into chanting at Mass today. Um, so we talk about, we say, go, she is sent. Um, she's sent, we are sent out into the culture. And so we need to look at that first, that biggest circle, and it says culture at large. Um, and so this is, yeah, the, the world, this is the world out at UIC's campus. This is the people we encounter in a coffee shop. Um, this is just the culture, the non, the, any culture that anyone in the culture believing or non-believing just people. Um, the next level as you'll see inside of that is evangelization. And so the first step from the culture into life with Christ is the proclamation of the good news, evangelization, sharing the good news of what Jesus has done, um, what it means that we are redeemed and that we are sanctified with him, that we can have a relationship with him and that we can uh, live with him forever in eternity. And so evangelization is that first proclamation, that first step in towards relationship with Christ. Um, And then the next thing you see is discipleship and devotion, right? And so this is as we're continuing to walk with Christ um, in discipleship, we're growing deeper in devotion to him. um, And we are yeah, falling more and more in love with him. And ultimately there, that final circle we see there is the liturgy because that is the pinnacle. It's the summit of our relationship with God. It's where our redemption is accomplished. It's where we encounter him face to face. Um, And it is, it's the summit. It's the end in which our lives are meant for. Our lives are meant for relationship with God and that eternal liturgy that's taking place in heaven. 
Um, so if you, if we were to like draw on this, you could draw an arrow from liturgy all the way out to the culture at large. And so that's how the, the church is sent from liturgy into the culture. And then we grow from culture into evangelization, into discipleship and devotion. And we find that summit there back at liturgy. So what does this have to do with chanting? Well, these same circles apply to music. Um, and so music belong, different types of music belong in different types or different places in these circles. So we have music of the culture at large. That is your classic Justin Bieber. That's even um, your musicals. That is whatever popular music is out there today. Um, that's just the music of the culture. Um, it's popular. It is catchy. Um, but there's really nothing to do with God in it at all. Uh, it doesn't mean it's bad. It's just the music of the culture. Um, now the next step would be that music, um, of evangelization. And so that is, if you guys ever listen to like K-Love or, um, like, I don't know, like Christian music on Spotify, that's, it's music that we say, where's the clothes of the culture, right? It sounds like cultural music, but it's explicitly proclaiming Christ. You'll probably hear Jesus in there, or you'll hear things about God in there. Um, it's meant to, yeah, sound like the culture, but proclaim Christ. You take that one step further and we're into discipleship and devotion. These are the songs that um, a lot of times we say, like, I feel God through these songs. This song really spoke to me. Um, there's a lot of times that there's music um, from, like, praise and worship nights. For those of you guys who are at Seek, all that music that was played during adoration, that's devotional music, right? Um, and so sometimes you can sit with those songs and it can open up something in your heart or you can be praising God. Um, and they're super beautiful and they're so important for our relationship with God. Um, but the truth is that those are subjective, right? I could really love the song Reckless Love, but my mom could think that that is just like crazy modern music. And she really likes the song Go Make a Difference. I mean, she's allowed to do that. And so devotion, songs of devotion, discipleship are subjective. They're unique to each and every one of us. Um, but they're not the end. And though they are absolutely beautiful and like, trust me, my life has been changed by some of those songs. Um, the end of, of music is, is the liturgy, right? And so the, because we've mentioned that the liturgy has to be different. It has to look different than everything else in our culture because of what happens in the liturgy, because that's where Jesus is sacrificed. That's where our redemption is accomplished. So the music of the liturgy has to be different because the liturgy is set apart from everything else in our lives. And so when we look at liturgical music, um, this is where we have to turn back to the church. Um, we have to turn back to what the church has said about what, what happens at Mass and what should be done at Mass. Um, and so when we go back to those documents of Vatican II, um, which is where we get a lot of how to understand what's going on in the liturgy, um, it says a few things. One thing is that it says that um, something called Gregorian chant is especially suited for the liturgy. So Gregorian chant, we can also just call it chant. Um, that's what we're do we've started to do here at Mass, right? And we've started to do it because the church has said it's especially suited for the liturgy. Why is it especially suited for the liturgy? Well, like I said, the liturgy is something that's different. It's set apart. It's elevated. And this music, this chant, um, well, maybe at first glance doesn't seem more elevated. Um, it is because it's designed specifically for the liturgy and for prayer. Um, I used to think when I first learned about chant and I had really, 
yeah, I had really bad experiences of people, um, well-meaning people in the church saying, chant is the only way to do it. And if we do this wrong, then it's not good. And if we do this wrong, then it is not a good mass and everything that chants is way better. And yeah, your praise and worship, we don't need that. Um, and I was so frustrated when I heard that because I was like, no, I like one praise and worship is what got me back to mass every Sunday. Right. Cause I heard these songs in, in this band at church and I wanted to be a part of it. Um, but also these songs have spoken to me and have spoken truth into my heart and changed my relationship with God. So I, I, I couldn't get my mind around just, Oh, what this chant that you prefer is better. And part of that was cause I assumed that chant was something that maybe, you know, in the middle ages or at some point in the church's life, chant was the, the popular music of the, of the day. I assumed that, um, yeah, chant is just what people, when they were walking down the street, they were just like chanting um, that was just kind of like their, I don't know, they would like, if they had Spotify at the time, they would have put like chant on Spotify and it was just the popular music. But what actually changed for me is that I realized that Gregorian chant um, was, was never considered a cultural music of the time. It was never the music just to be listened to. It's the music that was always reserved for the liturgy. It came out of a desire to sing the liturgy. It came out of a desire to sing the mass. It wasn't that we had this music and now we want to fit the mass into it. Rather, it's that we have the mass and we want to find a way to sing. We want to sing this. So what music can we create to, or can like, yeah, we come up with to sing the words of the mass. Um, and it, yeah, it's never been secularized. It's never been made into a, like, no, no one else is chanting about anything besides mass. Um, you don't hear chant about like, I don't even know what people sing about these days, but chanting is what happens in the liturgy. Um, and one of the absolutely most beautiful things about chant that I love is that when we're chanting, the words that we are chanting, the prayers of the church that, the prayer, that have been written down for 2,000 years, it is the words of the chant that are determining the music. We're not looking at, you know, a melody that's been written and trying to figure out a way to, to, to force these words into it. Um, I know I've had friends... Um, who've tried to like, if you you ever tried to rewrite a parody of a song and you try to like fill in like syllables that don't fit and it just like sounds really cheesy or you like change things around, um, that doesn't happen with chant because chant, um, the, the words are what form the music and determine the music. Um, and so just as in liturgy, God is the one doing the work. When it comes to chanting, God is the one giving us this prayer. These prayers that we're chanting are, um, yeah, the, the prayers of the church. The antiphons are these um, prayers from scripture um, and from the church. And so if Jesus is the one accomplishing our redemption and offering himself back to the Father at Mass, we get to join in with him when we sing these prayers of the church, when we chant the prayers of the church. Um, and so, yeah, Mass is... Uh, I don't want to say heresy in this, but like mass really is not about what we have to offer. Our offering is important and God loves it and God wants our hearts and he wants everything we have there at mass. But it's not about what we can come up with, about uh, how we can best dis- like express our uh, worship. It's about joining in Christ's sacrifice, which actually is a huge relief, right? Like I don't have to figure out how to make something sound good. I'm not good at writing music. But I can take a, uh, the prayer of the church and I can chant it in a way that's going to sound beautiful and it's going to unite God or unite me to Christ's sacrifice. Um, and so as we'll see in a little bit, when we chant, we let the words determine these pauses and the emphasis. We don't use the musical melody to determine those. 
Um, so as you're looking at uh, those circles again, I want to also emphasize that like all of these circles of music are important. It's not that liturgy is like the, the like if all we did was chant, I don't think I would love that. Like in the world, it's like if we didn't have like guitars and mandolins and pianos and like devotional music, it wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be as beautiful. Like God gave us these gifts and these instruments and we like should use them, but we should use them in the proper context. Um, so we can sing, we, we as Christians can write songs that fit into the culture at large. We can sing songs in the culture at large, provided they are orienting us towards evangelization and like towards discipleship. Um, and yeah, the reality is, is we have preference for the chant that happens in the liturgy, but that doesn't mean that that's the only thing that can happen in the liturgy. So, um, what's a document called the general instruction for the Roman Missal, basically how to do mass, um, talks about, okay, at the entrance, right? A lot of places we have an entrance hymn. Um, and so at the entrance, it says options, preferred, chant an antiphon. Next option, chant a different antiphon that's maybe not the one we gave you, but another one that you want to chant. And then some other options. And then the last one says, or a suitable hymn. So singing a hymn there is fine. It's allowed. It's not that it's not allowed. Um, but it's not, it's not the, it's not what the church has given us as the preferred option. Be- and the, the reason chant is preferred is everything that I've just explained, that it's the prayer of the church. It's the music or the words that determine the music. Um, and so here's the thing, like if you've ever um, gone, I think focus conferences do this really well in that when you go there, especially in the, the giant ones, which hopefully we'll see next year, when there's like I don't know, a couple hundred priests processing down the aisle, they'll do the chant. Um, but then they'll be like, oh, okay, we finished the chant, but we still are processing. So no, we can sing a hymn now. Um, and it's, that's appropriate to do. And we can pick a devotional song to sing as a hymn. Um, a lot of times like they'll sing like, oh, come to the altar, which is a really popular praise and worship song. Very appropriate to have at mass. Um, but here at Newman, the reality is, is we just don't have time. I mean, by the time we're done chanting the antiphon, Father is like up on the altar, ready to go. Um, and so, yeah, we could have devotional music at Mass, but we just, we're going to go with the preferred option. Um, and because of that, we don't have time for a hymn. Um, something that, I, that also was really helpful for me to understand is that the Mass is not designed to be evangelical, right? I think, and I think this is where uh, us in leadership are really failing the church in a lot of different ways, myself included. But um, we think, okay, I have a friend. I want them to be Catholic. I'm going to introduce them to the Catholic church. I'm going to bring them to mass. Oh, but like mass isn't, they don't really get it. So can we like sing like Mumford and Sons at mass? That's, that's not, no, because mass is not meant to be evangelical. Mass is the place where the sacrifice of Jesus is represented and our redemption is accomplished. And so Mass is not designed to be evangelical. So bless you if you bring a new friend to Mass. And sometimes the beauty of this like ancient tradition really does move them. Or a great homily can move them. But uh, the reality is, is that we as a church need to have more evangelical and devotional oriented events. That's why, and I've been like working, we're working with the team. I'm trying to figure out like we need praise and worship nights because we need a place to be able to like 
pray these devotional songs that change our hearts as a community and like be in front of the Lord and pray them. And that's something that we can invite those who maybe won't understand what's going on at mass, but we want them to encounter the beauty of the church. We can invite them to that. That's why Bible studies are super important because you can invite your friends to a Bible study. Um, That's meant to be an entry point. But mass was really, the liturgy was never meant to be an entry point um, into the church because it is so mysterious as to what is happening here. Um, And so, yeah, I think a lot of times we think, okay, I need to, we want to pick fun songs to sing at mass so it can be more evangelical and accessible to like the general population. But rather, why don't we as Catholics form our hearts so that like we get so focused on changing the mass, but really we could change our hearts to better understand what's going on in mass. Um, And so just a few kind of final notes to wrap up. And then if we have questions, you can take them. But um, yeah, anything, everything that I've just said must be communicated in love. Like I said, I had really a really negative experience of someone saying like, chant is the only way to do it. Uh, Latin mass is the best. Um, If you don't, if you sing hymns at your song, at your church, it's not as good. Um, And is there maybe some truth to that? I'm open to that discussion. But Jesus calls us to share the gospel in charity and truth. Um, so we need, we can only share truth if there's actual charity and if there's love. Um, it's never loving just to come in and say, this is better and this is how we're doing it. And too bad if you don't like it. Um, yeah, it has to be communicated in love. Also, oftentimes, this is my big pet peeve, um, people don't like chanting because people don't know how to chant. And oftentimes chanting is done poorly. Um, a lot of times it can be really slow. A lot of times it just can't be very clear. And a lot of times because it's slow and not clear, it can be kind of lame. Um, but actually if we uh, take the time to pray with the words and as cantors and those leading the congregation, that we can really make it beautiful and we can make it um, a prayer and not slow, bad, or lame. Um, and then the last thing is just that, um, yeah, when we talk about mass, we talk about liturgy. Um, we, we have the option to go to mass every day. But most importantly is this sun- is Sunday. Um, Sunday, it's the day of the resurrection. Um, God has called us to honor the Sabbath, to honor this day of resurrection. And because we're celebrating the redemption of Christ that like, ultimately culminates in this resurrection, um, yeah, Mass is not optional on Sundays. I'm sure you guys know that. But um, there's a reason that in saying honor the Sabbath means go to Mass on Sundays. Um, not only does God command us to rest by honoring the Sabbath, um, which is so great. I mean, I could use more rest in my life. But he also wants us to partake in the sacrament where our redemption is accomplished. Um, And just in case you're wondering, Monday doesn't count. Got to go on Sunday. Um, I know someone who was like, oh, there's no one here on Monday. It's so much shorter. Let's go to that. Doesn't work. So come to Mass on Sunday. Come experience the... Yeah, the place where your redemption is accomplished and your sanctification is accomplished and come encounter Christ, um, the lamb who was slain to take away our sins um, and come chant because it's beautiful and it's a beautiful prayer of the church. Um, so much tradition handed down to us. So with that, um, I know I just talked a lot at you guys. So I don't have any questions or thoughts or like anything confusing, anything not make sense. Yes. I have one question. Yeah. Um, how, so like, when I was in college, I loved like the music and I loved the chanting that was taking place, but I refused to open my mouth mm. to sing because I just didn't think I could and I didn't think that it would sound good. 
And like even as a priest now, like it takes a lot for me to actually chant and sing when I can say some of the parts. Mm. Um, so there's just like this, ever since college, there's this fear that I will make it worse by singing myself or I will feel more awkward and out of my comfort zone. Can you speak into that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, there's a few ap- aspects of this. One is that St. Augustine famously said, one who sings prays twice. Um, I think there's something really beautiful in that. Um, yeah, when we're able to sing, we are, I, I believe that we're accessing um, something that the, these, that the angels do, right? And the angels are like this higher, like, heavenly being. Um, and so we get to like enter into that form of worship of God. Um, and so, yeah, there's just a beauty. And an, it, when we talk about elevating the liturgy, um, yeah, I could say like any of the parts of liturgy, we've heard them, but there's something that's just really beautiful when they're sung. And so, um, yeah, there's just a beauty to singing. And also you get to open up your heart to the Lord um, in that as well. And I think Something that, in terms of like, oh, I don't think I'm good at singing, I'm insecure, uh, a few things. One, I, as someone, like, I recognize that the Lord has given me a gift in music, um, but I never, it never bothers me if someone is not a good singer and they're singing at Mass. I'm actually thrilled by it. Um, we've had some people come, I've, I've heard sometimes at Daily Mass there's some people who have started to sing with us, and sometimes it's like not on key, um, but it's so beautiful because they're like joining in. Um, and so I think like, just know that, and I can only imagine that the way I feel in my heart when you guys start sing, when people sing at mass, um, is just a fraction of the delight that the Lord has in you for like participating in uh, that, um, in the sacrifice and in the prayer with the cantor and with the church. Um, so really, that is that invitation there. And then, lastly, uh, yeah, hopefully, like I know, like at least for me, Father Tim, Father Connor, none of us are like we're never like oh my gosh, this person should not be singing. Um, and yeah, if they're, I would just encourage everyone as well. If you know, if you hear someone else sing and you don't necessarily like the way they sing, um, maybe just examine your own heart. Um, and can you, can you ask for the heart that God has for their voice? Cause God loves their voice, even if it's not good. Um, and so maybe we can also ask for the grace to, to transform our voices or our hearts to be able to love the voices of others, even when they're not good too. And then just trusting that, um, everyone has that same that same heart and that same mind, and we don't care if you sound bad. Just sing. We're a community. We want to sing together. So, would that that help? That was awesome. Cool. Thank you. You're a great singer and chanter, Father Tim. <laughs> it's actually yeah. Kind of, well, I just want to say when we were shifting into like singing more at mass, um, we were like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna sing these parts. And Father Tim was like, sometimes I don't like to. I just kind of get like it's the morning, or like I feel like I'm not good at it. Um, but as you, he's dove right into it and I don't think anyone would say that he's a bad chanter or bad singer um so thanks for being an example of that Father Tim you're great cool I guess yeah if you guys want to head out feel free if anyone wants to stick around and like learn how to chant a little bit we can do that too so okay, <laughs>